0: used to make us vegetable soup for lunch. Now, some of you, particularly those of you with children, might be thinking, that sounds horrible. But this soup was amazing. The texture of the vegetables was that like magic blend of crisp and just a bit tender. The stock was some elixir that he fashioned from leftover bits of previous meals. And of course, there was no recipe. Papa simply had a gift. We called my grandfather Papa, but his real name was Vito de la Torre. And he wasn't technically my grandfather. He was my dad's stepdad. Papa was born in southern Italy, but after her husband died in the early 1920s, Papa's mother moved the family to North Beach in San Francisco, like so many other Italian immigrants. Papa never completed the seventh grade. Instead, he worked as a shoe shiner and later as a cook in the Navy. While Papa had no formal training, he had the natural ease of a great chef. All the cooks in our family tried to like follow him around the kitchen <laughs> to get a sense of how he cooked, but he had no recipes. He never even tasted anything as he cooked. He simply internalized the craft of cooking so deeply that he knew how things would come out. He was so versed in the art of cooking that he didn't struggle to cook. (coughs) Today, Jesus is shifting us in the direction of Papa's cooking. Jesus responds to folks who are obsessed with rules, to religious legalism. But Jesus is shifting us away from religious legalism toward relationship, toward deep, mysterious familiarity. A lawyer comes to Jesus. A lawyer knocking on your door is not the kindest thing for most of us. Sorry, Winnie. I know that's, uh, that's hard to hear. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to have you knock on my door. But this lawyer asks a legalistic question intended to trap Jesus. Jesus, in turn, answers by prioritizing two portions of the law that emphasize relationship. Love of God and love of neighbor. These two passages that we had printed today. The first answer is no surprise. This is the what is called the Shema. It is one of the most important Jewish prayers. There's a mitzvah or a commandment to recite the Shema twice a day. Even little children say this as they go to sleep at night. This is the scripture that is referenced in the mezuzah, the little decorative Bit that is uh, on the doorframe of many Jewish households it is an important part of Jewish identity, and it always has been. It comes from Deuteronomy. The name Shema is the beginning of the verse. It means "here." Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu Adonai Ehad. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That last word, Ehad. This is the same word that in Islam defines Allah as one. Ahad, I think it's pronounced. In other words, this passage is a big deal in all the Abrahamic faiths. Jesus chooses Jesus a winner for his first answer. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He adds a second love your neighbor as yourself. This is from a different portion of the Torah, Leviticus. And here Jesus demonstrates his breadth of knowledge. He also suggests that following God is not an isolated activity. We do it in community. Following God requires relationship. It's not just about knowing and following a set of rules or guidelines. As we've said before, the law of the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. This is like being in love. It is greater than the sum of its parts. You can describe the parts of being in love, but that list together does not equal love, does not guarantee love, does not make for love. It doesn't prescribe love. This thing that we call the God-love life, the way of following God who is beyond our names and categories, but who brings all things into being in loves eternally, this way of following God God is about love. It is about relationship. And relationship is hard. We mess up. We struggle. We fight. We get hangry. (laughs) We get lonely. Even when relationships are at their best, there is illness and death. This life, the way we experience it in these bodies is limited, but we are part of something much greater, a relationship that transcends time, space, and understanding. Did any of you hear about that, the Kilanova event that happened back in August? Um, This is one of the most observed astrological events in recent history. On August 17th, the astrological instruments around the world detected light and magnetic waves coming from the collision of two neutron stars. If I've lost you, hang on. These two stars, there were two stars that orbited one another. And then in a wild dance, they each burnt off the energy that made them a a normal star and they collapsed into this dense mass called neutron stars. A teaspoon of this mass, this neutron star, weighs as much as Mount Everest. These two dense neutron stars danced a magic dance that resulted in their explosive union, which is the kilonova event of the, the stars that we observed. This explosive thing that happened in a fraction of a second. But the amazing thing to me, what I love about this, is that that one split second actually took place 130 million years ago. (laughs) During the time of the dinosaurs, this small event happened and we observed (laughs) it now. In other words, When dinosaurs roamed the earth, this thing happened, we see it today. It is incredible. In the context of that grandeur and beauty, we get a tiny glimpse of the divine, of something much greater than us. Something that contextualizes our fears, our concerns, our Halloween costumes, and our errands, our grocery runs. That is the greater picture to which Jesus points us. He's trying to take the Pharisees out of the books in which their heads are buried and look up into the vast eternal love. What's at the heart of this question that Jesus asks about the Messiah and David? Whose son is the Messiah? Who cares? (laughs) Probably not the pressing issue when you wake up in the morning, right? But this question draws us away from legalism and toward relationship with the divine mystery. It does so by presenting a paradox. This is a classic both-and issue. The scribes and religious folks are looking at everything as either-or. Jesus is either ignorant or a heretic. The Messiah is either David's son or not. But Jesus brings a perspective of both and. The Messiah is both a descendant of David and David's predecessor. Remember, Matthew's gospel starts with a genealogy that describes how Jesus is the son of David. So this is important. To Jesus. So Jesus is not negating that genealogy. But by quoting Psalm 110, the psalm that we read today, Jesus explores messianic expectations. Jesus talks about the Messiah as a divine liberator. So Jesus is pointing to a broader issue, a subject that will tear apart early Christianity. Jesus is both fully divine and and fully human both and a mysterious relationship that transcends the legalistic perspective of either or great you say but what does this have to do with me it means that you are part of this divine story that has been unraveling for all of time but is happening all at once you are part of loving your neighbors and caring for a planet whose identity cannot be separated from you. If you need guideposts and walking that mysterious path, you have them. The Bible will start you down that path and bring you back if you feel lost. But at some point, you have to step into the mystery, to live into relationship rather than rules, to start cooking. You have to let your heart be broken get sober. Walk the path through illness illness, to become the person you long to be. Like a great artist or chef, you will have to transcend the rules of craft and do something that requires all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. But not in the kind of way that you just work harder. In fact, Jesus is calling us to work or think less and love more. Religious mystics call this the apophatic, where we leave behind what we can say about God and step into the ineffable mystery of love. Contemporary athletes and business people call this a flow state. A flow state is a state of being in which a person acts instinctively and without distraction on a specific task. Neurologically speaking, flow involves what they call transient hypofrontality, which temporarily suppresses the analytical systems of the brain. In other words, flow happens when the rules go out the window and the practitioners live fully into the experience or relationship This is true in everything from surfing and jazz to cooking, football, and Jesus. To give you a sense of what I'm talking about, we're going to do something different today. I'm going to invite Casey up here to tell us a story about that. Come on up.
1: Since I'm just storytelling, I think I'll, I'll sit. <laughs> there we go. I think everything is in place. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't break anything. Uh, so Scott asked me to tell a, a quick story that we talked about uh, earlier this week when we went over the gospel lesson for the week. Uh, when I was a senior well let 's start begin at the beginning i guess um, <clears throat> i started I was a late bloomer with football uh, I usually when you 're growing up in the South, you start around six five or six actually <laughs> uh, but i i didn 't come to football until I was ten so in in mm. southern terms i was I was an old guy when I started playing football um, and I was always described as physically capable but a little stiff. Uh, I was I drilled well. Uh, I understood the game very well. I was very smart uh, and I could really get into what was being told. I was very, uh, what coaches call coachable. Uh, but I was always described as, again, a little stiff. I, when game time came, I was thinking a lot more than I was playing I I didn't jump into it in the same way and so the response was always to say Casey you got to get mad you got to get angry what makes you angry (laughs) and I think you all probably and and most people that have ever known me know that I don't get angry very often (laughs) so this is always a very difficult thing so the one thing I couldn't get coached on was um how to be angry (laughs) uh And so I played, and and I played, and I played. Uh, My senior year in high school, uh, it was the beginning of the season, and we were set up to do really well. Uh, I was one of the captains, and uh, we had been playing and practicing really well. And uh, I got called to the office one day. It was a game day, uh, and my mom tells me uh, that I lost my pastor and my mentor that day and uh so i leave uh, school and i go to the church I, I sit with the family and then my mom asks if i'm going to go play today I, I guess that was a question for everybody <laughs> is he is he playing um and i said yeah uh, i went back to went back to school uh did all of our routines we always had a team meal and um one of my duties as one of the captains um and the one that they i guess thought was most in tune to Jesus, with that I prayed. Uh, so I prayed with the team, I prayed right before we got on the bus, and then also did the blessing for the meal. Um, and then we went out there, and I don't know to this day, I can't remember one down of that game, but I know that it was the greatest game that I ever played. Uh, I was lights out uh, is the phrase that I would use to describe it. I uh, had no sense of, of, of the rules. I wasn't thinking about what I was doing. I was just doing what I had drilled, what I had practiced doing. Uh, for years, all, it, it was the culmination of all those years of playing, all those years of practicing. Everything I know in my relationship with my teammates, it was the thing that was most familiar uh, in this moment of tragedy, in this moment of, uh, misunderstanding, I had the field, I had my teammates, I had, uh, these things that I had done so many times over and over and over again, uh, so many times that I didn't have to think about it, and I didn't have to think about what had just happened to me and, and, and to my church and to my family, uh, and so I played, and I and I played this amazing game. And again, I, I to this day I don't remember the first down, the second down, or even like the greatest moment in that game. I just remember how I felt, um, and it was like this euphoria, this release, uh, this unburdening. Uh, and so uh, I I always hold that game. With me, I always take that with me as a as a sign or as like a, a memory of how it feels to to be truly alive, uh, to come alive and to live into uh, something fully. Um, and I seek that. I think um, day in and day out, I seek to live into that and, and uh, find that feeling in something. Um, and so, hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs>
0: That is what we're thinking, what we're feeling. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do you need to say today?